Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Lego Masters Deconstructed. Welcome to Lego Masters Deconstructed, Australia's only Lego Masters podcast. And yes, that's right, we're still here. Yes, we have not given up yet, even though the show has ended. So today we have a very fun interview with Trent and Josh. Take a listen. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Very good, thank you. Doing good, thank you. Lovely to be here. Welcome to the pod. We've obviously been talking about you guys like since day one um, and following your journey on Lego Masters, which has been really exciting, but unfortunately is over now. The show's finished. How was it? How was the show? How was your journey? It was a wonderful journey. I mean, I went on this show to make new friends, meet new people, and it just totally exceeded all my expectations of what building on a reality TV show show could be like. Um, the, the people on the show, first and foremost, the other contestants were so wonderful. We got along so well and we still catch up daily with them and chat and do crossword club and all sorts of things. So that was just wonderful in its own right. But the actual quality of the Lego Masters show, the show that was produced, just hit seemed to resonate with the audience at this time. And we just got so much love, people enjoying the show and enjoying the builds that it was just, yeah, such a magical experience. Yeah, I definitely reflect that. It was such an awesome, awesome experience and definitely exceeded my expectations too. So um, just kind of applied for a bit of fun and never expected it to go anywhere, but was super excited to be on and to be building with the amazing Lego people that we were building with was just a huge privilege. And we learned so much about Lego, but also just like Trent said, made heaps of really good friends, not just with the other contestants, but also with the people working behind the scenes who just were amazing at their jobs and loved what they were doing, which made it a huge privilege to be a part of. Yeah, that's amazing. And crazy that you sort of apply for it and you're like, oh, I might not go anywhere. It's all just a bit of fun. And then you end up making the top three. I mean, what was it like to be in the finale? Yeah, we very early on, I guess, had a bit of you know, constructive feedback on on our builds. And we certainly felt out of our depth. So to actually learn and grow and build up a skill set through the show and make it to the finale was just blew our minds that we were up there and building with Andrew and Damien and Alex and Jackson. I mean, there were a number of other teams that would have been worthy top three. I mean, pretty much every team that, that did it, right? So it was just an absolute privilege to be there competing at the end and really for us to have the full Lego Masters experience, make it the whole way through, do every build. I think we built for about a hundred and 47 hours in total. We never took a day off. We were building in every challenge except for the retro rebuild. So, yeah, just just so happy to be there the whole way through. Yeah, it was definitely unexpected. I obviously didn't expect to be on the show, let alone (laughs) in the top three. So when we started to, get, I guess, make really good models that were started winning a few times, I guess we started to believe that, oh, maybe we could actually win this thing. We could go through right to the end. And it wasn't sort of till halfway through the season that we – personally had self-belief in that so yeah honestly super excited to have made it into the finale and on it that, that ticks a huge box of 
of what we were trying to achieve on the show for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was probably, like you said, about halfway through where we just randomly, you guys kind of blew up on the screen and you were suddenly like getting top two quite consecutively and really building these massive characters every week that were getting you these big points with Brickman. Did you know that you were really good at big characters? Has that always been something that you do or did you just randomly discover that? We discovered a lot on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Good time to work out what your strengths are is actually in the middle of the show. But to be honest, Josh and I didn't have a lot of free building experience. I'm more of a instruction kind of guy. I've got a lot of Lego sets, but I built to the instructions. So I really had to pull on all my experience experience in terms of art and design and aesthetics to kind of work out that I could do those faces or do those large characters. And like Josh was building bulls and squids and all these amazing huge creatures and characters. And it's just something we kind of stumbled upon, to be honest. Yeah, it was a little bit of dumb luck in there with also a little <laughs> bit of technical skills as well. We kind of had a combination of, but once we had hit it, we were like, oh, this is actually really good. And it was obviously getting uh, good points with Brickman. And we ended up winning, I think, the most challenges out of everyone on the show. So we we knew we'd stumbled some, across something that we were good at that was hard to do that we could execute well and that could get us to the finale and possibly win the show. So we were like, well, let's stick with this plan as long as we possibly can because it's, it's doing us so well. Especially early on in the season, there was a couple of times where the way the show was edited, it seemed like Brickman would give you some advice. And let's use Cinderella as the example, sorry. <laughs> it looked like Brickman would give you some advice and then it would cut on the show to like an interview of you guys being like, yeah, we decided not to listen to that. What, how did it feel in the moment to be trying to make those decisions? Like, did, did it feel like Brickman was giving you like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, hey, you should definitely do this thing? Or did, did it kind of feel like he was giving you options and you could go either way? Like, what was that like? I think it was just really hard to decipher exactly what or how he gave feedback or what he actually wanted us to try and fix. And I guess when you watch it back, it seems really obvious. But when you're there, it's not as obvious as that. It's very cryptic and it kind of comes amongst a whole bunch of other feedback. So in that particular scenario, Trent and I kind of had a plan and we thought it was really good. And we were like, well, no, it it seems obvious to us. And we're like, well, maybe if we finish it and when it's done, it'll look obvious. But then that obviously backfired on us. And I, the biggest lesson I think we learned from that is just our story wasn't as obvious as it needed to be. So if you step back and looked at our build, a lot of comments online were like, oh, but it was so good. It looked really awesome. It was a great castle. And that's the exact point that Brickman was making. If you step back and look at it, it looked like an awesome castle, but it didn't really tell the story of Cinderella in an instant. It kind of took you a little bit to figure that out. And so we realized that we need to be able to tell our story in an absolute half a second instant to really sell a model well. And that's the biggest lesson we pulled from that episode for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're going to do well in the show, you've got to listen to Brickman, right? Like he's the judge and he's got so much experience. He knows what he's talking about. And it's with the benefit of hindsight, you look back when you're watching it on TV and you're like, he's spot on, right? <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. But when you're in the moment, it can be really hard to sift through it and change plans. And, and we went into this comp going, we're always going to listen to Brickman. And that Cinderella build was a really good reminder of, of sort of how we needed to approach that, how we could listen to him, how we could take his feedback and kind of work with it. And hopefully he didn't yeah, come back with the same message twice. We took on the learnings and, and grew from there. Yeah, I can imagine with all the feedback that you're getting from him, 
it can be hard to judge like, okay, when do we stick to our guns and trust what we're doing? And when do we just stop and do what he's telling us to do? Like, like Prente said, that bird cage is such a great example. Like at the start, Brickman came over and was like, guys, I made a life-size cat and it took me eight hours to build. (laughs) And you're like, great, we're going to do two in less time. (laughs) I mean, is that hard to balance every episode? Definitely. Like you don't know whether when he when he's coming to give you feedback whether he's maybe stirring a little bit for tv drama or whether it's genuine feedback or whether he's really encouraging you to change direction it's really hard to f- sift through it and figure out what it is we need to change or whether we just go like no we know what we're doing we've got a plan and we're going to stick to it so yeah it, that was probably the hardest part of the whole show just trying to work out if we were on the right track if the feedback that brickman was giving was Uh, like trying to push us in the right direction or whether he was trying to stretch us or what it was, just trying to decipher it was really, really difficult for for me. One question I did have during the season was obviously the people that you're versing are your competitors and like you want to beat them in the end, but you're obviously all such good friends. Can the teams during the build like ask each other for help? Like I'm thinking about the underwater build where Jodie was building the mermaid, so like her first big character. Um, and if I was her, I would have just like come to you guys and been like, all right, tell me how to do this. Well, it's actually funny that that, that did happen, but they didn't put it in the episode. Oh. Like Trent went over and, and started describing to them like how they could get the shapes better and to, to change this or add this or things like that. But it didn't make the edit. But yeah, they definitely came and sought advice from us. And it would happen all the time. Like we would go to other teams for, for ideas and advice as we were going as well. It was just such a collaborative environment. Um, and it, it didn't really feel like we were competing against other teams when we were doing it. It just felt like we were under pressure to put out our best, but we didn't really feel like we were competing against other teams. It was very weird. Yeah, I, I think that's the spirit of Lego Masters. not about winning or beating someone. It's about doing the best that you can do, and everyone wanted everyone else to do the best build that they could do. That was the genuine warmth of that environment. Even though, yeah, it's a competition and someone has to pick their favorite build to be a winner and someone has to pick someone to be in the bottom two and someone to be eliminated. No one really wants anyone to go home. We, we didn't want, you know, anyone to go. We just wanted to build with all eight teams for the whole season, right? Like that's how we wanted to do it. But unfortunately, <laughs> we you know, the show is the show and you have to do it that way. But the, the vibe was definitely... Build the best thing you can and everyone else wanted to see you build the best thing. And speaking of which, we were really curious about the night and day build which had the tragedy of the uh, flying or non-flying demon that you guys tried to have sort of appear during the nighttime but the way that it ended up happening was that it was stuck there during the daytime as well. My first question was, do you guys want to, like could you elucidate what happened with the technique there and why it wasn't working? Was it one of those things where you're like, I don't know why it's not working. Like it should be working, but it's just not like what happened. So technique was always my specialty and um, the mechanism to, I guess, raise that up. I had a, an idea of how it worked and I kind of had practiced it with the limited pieces that we had outside of the set. Um, but when it came to the crunch time, putting it together was a little bit more difficult than I think I expected. And it was basically like a gear that would raise it up. But then when it hits the top, it has to be able to stay up. And so it would hit a clutch gear and just be rotating on itself at the top. But that's Mm. not an easy mechanism to just whip up. You have to kind of know what you're doing. And I, I had a rough idea, but I didn't have the exact sort of 
calculations, measurements, the different speeds of the gears and all sorts of things like that, which I didn't have enough experience on to nail it straight away. And so I was pouring in so much time to get it done that in the end, it wasn't working. Every time it hit the top, it would just fall off. And so we kind of got to a point where we're like, well, we need to just stop wasting time on this because we're not going to have a finished build. Let's focus on other things and and move on from it. So it was a very difficult decision to make. And it was probably the, the one thing that I really felt defeated by at the end um, because everything else that we had done before, I never really felt like I had been beaten by something, but this one <laughs> got, got me, it really beat me. Um, and it was definitely the most stressful build because I, I genuinely thought we were leaving at that point. So we had that really tough decision of whether we even have it on or on at all. So we debated that for quite a while and obviously decided to keep it um, because we had made it and it looked pretty cool. So, yeah, that was a really difficult decision to make as well. All right, I want to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> He's been itching to ask. <laughs> uh, Josh, we thought on the show that you were – almost equally as big of a Star Wars fan as Trent. Maybe not quite as big. Trent sort of got most of the screen time there. But you definitely seem to know exactly what you were doing. But it seems like behind the scenes, Trent is 99% of the Star Wars fan and you you weren't at all. How did it feel to be building with what seemed to be the world's biggest Star Wars fan? It's funny though that so it came across that way because I have seen Star Wars and I would say I'm, I'm not like an avid fan. I've seen it and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But um, I don't even know enough about it to know the names of things or anything like that. So Trent was 100% carrying the team in this episode. <laughs> and I, when we sat down for our planning, I was like, okay, tell me everything I need to do because I, I have no idea. So um, it obviously came across that I knew something, which I'm okay with. <laughs> we kind of divided the build up a little bit where I would start working on the wings and he would do the main body of it. Then I helped build a bit of the underside and then a stand for it. So I, we kind of divided up nicely. And Trent was able to go, well, just go in the brick pit, the Star Wars brick pit, look at all the, the other ships that are in there, get inspiration from them, colours, shapes, ideas from that, and sort of replicate that but with your own flair. And so that was a huge help for me to be able to just go, oh, that's a really good idea. I'll kind of like replicate that to a degree. And so, yeah, I was honestly relying on Trent the whole time. <laughs> that's a really smart way of going about it, Trent. Good thinking. <laughs> but Trent, I wanted to ask you, as the sort of resident Star Wars fan between Zoe and I, I thought it would be, if I was in your shoes, really difficult to build with the brief they gave because light side isn't a thing. Like there's so many different degrees. There's the rebellion, there's the resistance, there's the Republic. Those are all different things with completely different aesthetics. And yet they just sort of grouped together under light side and you guys just had to decipher that. Did you find that really difficult? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, I mean, I guess when you get technical about it, the light side is the Jedi, I guess, and the Jedi are kind of defeated by the time you get to episodes four to six. Um, so it's it's. I think what they meant and the way I took it was the goodies, essentially, any sort of goodie ship. You could have built a Republic ship from episode one if you wanted. I think technically they were light side, or you could have picked something from, you know, episode five in the style of a snow speeder or an A-wing or an X-wing or something like that. Mm. Uh, the challenge that I found really with this brief was I wanted to do look kind of like a single fighter type vehicle, but it was going to be like, if you're going to do it minifigure scale, it was just going to be too small. So it kind of evolved into this bigger vehicle that had all these elements just to try to make it a, an eight-hour build and make it kind of worthy of yeah. the size and scale. And by doing that, I probably, like Brickman said, 
went and incorporated maybe a few too many design elements into the final build. But, um, you know, it, it's really hard because those designs are so iconic. I mean, people have been watching those films for 40 years and have an idea in their head of what they should look like. So there was actually, I actually felt quite a bit of pressure to produce something that was in keeping with, you know, what, what are essentially industrial designers and, and movie magicians that have produced these things. And that, that to me was actually quite a daunting task to produce something. And I'm sort of glad at least we didn't embarrass ourselves. Like, it might have not been the perfect <laughs> Star Wars vehicle, but at least it was kind of passable. You know, like it got the pass mark. You can see that it kind of looked like it belonged in the Star Wars universe. And I would say that's something that we should be super proud of. It was probably like something that I, I'm not even a Star Wars fan. We're happy to have that on my desk at home. It was, <laughs> yeah. so, it was so fun. It was like swooshable. We could fly it around the room if we wanted and it wasn't going to fall apart. Like it was... I think pretty awesome, Trent. Give yourself a bit more credit than that. <laughs> and the whole back of it opened up and there are all these details inside. I had oh, wow. targeting computers on the pilots, right? So like stay on target. Um, all these little nods to the film. There was obviously a, an astromech droid sitting behind the cockpit like you'd see in an X-Wing. <laughs> yep, awesome. Um, so all, all these little details and, and um, you know, for Brickman to say I'd gone over budget, well, he, you know, he had a point and as an accountant, it was actually quite devastating for my career prospects to have <laughs> overspent on that challenge. No, you are totally right though because like the Star Wars uh, universe has had, you know, like Ralph McQuarrie, some of the most influential science fiction artists of all time. And so it's, it's a pretty high bar to clear. But what I did really like about your design is that you incorporated like elements of so many different ships, like X-Wing and A-Wing in particular, th those elements were there. And so I thought you did a great job of pulling that off. But if you didn't pick a light side character, if you had a, a neutral or a dark side character. Did you have ideas for what you would have built for those ones? Didn't really have any ideas. I guess the other one I would have liked was the grey side. And I know in, in Star Wars there is no grey side technically, but 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 bounty hunters and you know Jawas that have sand crawlers. Though that colour palette that Damien and Andrew chose, those sort of maroons and greys and bits of green, is something I probably would have gone for myself. Like I would have maybe gone down the the style of a big armoured tank type vehicle that, um, you know, akin to a sand crawler, but maybe for a different terrain, something like that with those colours, lots of armour, lots of interesting shapes. That, that's Slave One. The shapes on those are so beautiful that you can't help almost but be drawn to something that fits that aesthetic. But yeah, we, I was... Light Side to me are the most iconic vehicles in the Star Wars universe. And I, I was sort of praying for that and, and we got it. So I was super happy. Josh, if you had to build a Star Wars thing by yourself or with a teammate who wasn't Trent, do you think you would have been able to come up with anything or would you just oh. have had to copy something that from your memory? I would have had the saving grace there would have had to been all those builds in the Star Wars brick pit that could give you enough inspiration to probably make something up. Very smart. And you just have to be good at storytelling. Just be like, yeah, it totally is designed to do this cool thing that was cool <laughs> and, and important. So, yeah, I would have just definitely wung my way through it and I'm, I'm pretty good at convincing people. Like I, I managed to convince people that I was good at Lego before I got on this show and look where it made, got me. Got me. <laughs> So, you know, I would have I would have done all right. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the finale. Um, obviously, you guys found your forte with big characters and kind of owned that in the finale as well, um, which I think the kids were really drawn to. Like when we spoke to Annie just after the finale, she said, 
as soon as those doors open, all the kids were just like running to your pirate ship. Were you thinking about that when you were building? Like we've we've got to build for the general public as well as Brickman? Yeah, it was a big factor. And what our approach was, because we wanted to build those big characters, it kind of by definition, if you try to keep things broadly in scale, it just meant the pirate ship had to be massive. And obviously we couldn't build an entire pirate ship at that scale. So we kind of built this, the back half of a ship. Um, mm. But we did want that wow factor of just make something as big as you possibly can and draw in the attention. I think where we probably got let down is we ran out of time to add all the nice details we really wanted in that model. So the deck was pretty bare in the end. We had five main characters plus the crocodile plus the monkey, but really we needed maybe a few more characters, a few other stories, some parrots and barrels, that sort of thing. So what I think our build got massive attention and people would have gone over, but then it probably didn't hold the attention like Alex and Jackson and Damien and Andrew's build did. And I know when we finished and we went around, you could stare at those other two models for ages. Like they just had so many little stories and details and, and that sort of thing. So we probably, yeah, we had the wow factor, but unfortunately we probably didn't have that hold factor that the other models did have. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, I guess it's hard, like you're trying to achieve this big thing and you've got time kind of not on your side, but you need to wow everyone at the same time. If you could do the finale again, would you have built something entirely different or would you maybe have tried to like really nail that pirate ship again? Um, I think we could probably have saved a lot more time now that we've done it once, <laughs> like seeing where all the, all the things that kind of s- slowed us down essentially. If we had, I guess, polished off those things, we probably could have had a spare hour or two to put those finer details on there. I don't, I, I don't really know. The, one of the other ideas we discussed was to do a beach scene with pirates. So they would like just oh. landed on a beach and they were digging up treasure, but then there was a fight going on. And we kind of ran that idea past Brickman and he was like, a pirate ship is way more awesome. And we were like, it's true, it is, but it's going to be harder to pull off. And he's like, if I were you, I would just go with the pirate ship. It's going to look epic. So we were like, okay, yeah, let's just commit to it and, and dive straight in. Yeah, I guess if we had polished a few of those things, if like, for example, those sails, when I built them, I knew they were the wrong way around about 80% of the way through. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? And so I said, Trent, let's just put them up and see what it looks like. And as soon as it was up, I was like, this is dumb. It looks so bad. <laughs> oh, no. And we didn't have enough time to fix it. So I was like, oh, look, let's just work on something else and come back to it. But that's when Brickman called us over. I was like, I see a problem. And I was like, yes, Brickman, we know. <laughs> um, so we, we were like, okay, now let's just do it now. So I had to pull it down. And I, I honestly thought I was going to spend another hour rebuilding that. And I managed to figure out a way to fix it fairly quickly, which I didn't realize at the time. So I managed to do it in about 15. So I was really happy with that. And obviously glad that we did it because it looked completely wrong the other way around. <laughs> Even we had planned to have a second mast on the back end of a ship so traditionally a lot of those ships have sort of like a triangle shaped one on the upper deck and so i had built all this technique on the inside to prepare for that but then when we got to the point where we were like we're not going to have enough time i just bricked over the top of it but if i hadn't done that in the first place we would have saved heaps of time i think in the end like if you step back you look at it you know it's a pirate ship and that's obviously the main thing that we needed to sell that it was definitely a pirate ship there's a pirate battle going on we had that wow factor but like transcend we just missed those finer details when we spoke to annie again after the finale uh we asked her about the voting process uh and she told us that 
She thinks quite a few of the women voted for you guys. Uh, do you know like who all the other teams voted for? Are you holding anything against them? <laughs> I know who all the eliminated contestants voted for in their final builds. So I do have that piece of information. Um, I won't reveal it on the show because people <laughs> might not want that. But yeah, we, we do know how the votes landed. And, and, and look, I, I w- I'll be the first to say like, I would have voted probably for the robot build. Like if I was in the room and voting, <laughs> that one spoke to me and, and I love that story. I love the way those mechs were done and that stadium was was incredible. But like Jackson and Alex's was amazing. Like the way they do those scenes is just, oh, like their artistry is top notch. So we like, you know, everyone's got their own taste. Everyone like something different like if my wife had said yeah it's jackson and alex i would have been yeah like for sure i can see why that's your favorite so it's not i think it's such a personal taste thing and and people resonate with different things no no qualms whatsoever for people not liking <laughs> ours or voting for the other one that's totally cool we get it we get why <laughs> they were great models right we also chatted a bit about how the rules for the grand final were kind of a bit like quidditch rules where you had all these people <laughs> voting but then Brickman would come at the end with a hundred <laughs> points golden like snitch kind of yeah. yeah exactly and kind of choose it anyway did it feel a bit like that where you're kind of like oh he's still pretty powerful <laughs> in this final yeah build. i must admit i did the math and i couldn't like i mean there's obviously a numeric scenario where he doesn't cast the winning vote right like where his vote doesn't just Mm -hmm. blow everything out of the water but it requires like all the public essentially voting for one model and then him kind of like bumping up the one that's only on like 25 votes to 125 so you know it, it i mean that's just the way the numbers run right like whereas season one you had 250 vote bricks now if brickman and Fenella voted for different builds right then it would be almost down to the audience as the tiebreaker like yep. right and if yeah. they voted for the same one well two judges have voted for it cool that should then be the winner i think that was a much better system just mathematically just the way it played out i think brickman's <laughs> brick was just too powerful it almost yeah. took in my opinion it took the audience vote out of it i would have made it 50 votes or i would have got in a second judge but look taking nothing away from brickman he's a great great judge i do like the idea of a two judge system yeah i agree like i think we were a little we kind of speculated who the the second judge was gonna be and i think we're a little bit disappointed that there wasn't another one mainly just because we would love to meet some more lego royalty um (laughs) so we're a bit disappointed on that factor um but yeah exactly what trent said it it probably did outweigh the the public votes but I guess the other side to that is Brickman definitely knows what he's talking about. He's an expert in his field. So I guess when he votes for it, he he sees all those finer details, those amazing techniques, the great storytelling. So he, he definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah, we are big fans of Brickman on the show, but we were quite disappointed that Fenella didn't come back for this finale again, unfortunately. Yeah, same. <laughs> and then so looking back across the course of the show, do you guys have a build that stands out as your favorite thing that you built or are you just proud of them all like choosing a favorite child? <laughs> I think it would be hard to choose a favorite child in this scenario, but um, I always keep going back to the the cowboy. I think that we just had such a good time doing that one, and I guess we were probably maybe one of the least stressful ones, but also the product at the end felt like it was the most finished. 
Like, I don't know if we could have done any more to that to make it look better, but definitely the other ones I was, oh, we could have added this and could have done that. But that I felt like was the most finished. It was the most polished. It looked the, like had a, such a cool story. The face was really awesome. I think collectively that was just my favorite. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It was sort of uh, the, the way we split that build just worked really well that I focused on the bull rider and Josh focused on the bull and, and the styles kind of came together and worked. And that bull came out so far from the canvas it was ridiculous the fact that was holding on with clutch power and i reckon i was saying to josh are you sure you don't want to put a bit of technic in it and he's like nah it'll be fine i reckon it will hold i reckon it'll hold and i'm like okay i'm gonna trust you on this and, and to his credit it, it came off but a, a big shout out as well to the the farmer and the rabbit i think that was just for me yeah. like the size that we went with and trying to get it on the angle and trying to pin that rabbit in underneath. Yeah, we would have liked some more stuff in the background to complete the model for that that we ran out of time for. But we heard that all the winning builds got kept and and that one, it wasn't a winning build, but they kept that hanging around right until the last minute because they loved that build so much backstage. So that was really nice that, that people kind of resonated with the fun story of that one and and um it was just a big colorful fun sort of cartoony model so that kind of gets my shout out as well yeah apparently they kept that in the office and up until the finale until they needed the pieces <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i think we um were definitely like more and more impressed by you guys and sort of felt a bit almost like you were the underdogs by the end like you were sort of picked on by Brickman and then became these like big character heroes by the end. So it was really fun following your journey. Yeah, I think we probably felt a little bit picked on by Brickman, but I guess <laughs> to his his credit, he is like the Yoda of, of Lego. So he really pushed us to do our best. And I guess if he hadn't done that, we might not have come up with what we had come up with. So I think yeah. it really it really did stretch us and push us to do our best, which we didn't even know what, what it was at that point, but maybe Brickman could see something that we couldn't. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Like Brickman is a lovely man. He's just a a very passionate and, and he loves Lego and he loves having fun with it. Um and he's so nice. If you ever have like catch up with him for a beer or just chat to him, like such a great guy. And and he pushed us like you know it might come across as picking on, but he wanted us to do the best that we could, and he taught us so much. We learned so much from him that, as Josh said, like would we have kind of got to the finale if he didn't kind of push us and and, and give us those critiques and really get us to strive to to improve and and really think about what we were doing. So you know it might might you might think it was being a bit harsh, but we loved kind of every moment of trying to hear how we could improve, how we could do things better. I do have one final question for you. Um, early on in the show, you guys were really pronouncing Lego as Lego. And we've since discovered that it's like a South Australian thing. And Summer and Iona sort of do it, but I think with you guys, it was much more obvious. What's the go with that? <laughs> Why is it only pronounced Lego in South Australia and nowhere else? It's it's definitely a South Australian thing. I don't know why we say Lego, but we say Lego and we're proud of it. We literally stick to our guns. <laughs> Even if we think we're wrong, we'll be like, no, it's Lego. And it's funny being on the show, I've, I've slowly started to say Lego way more often. I've realized I've yeah. caught myself doing it. And I feel like I'm betraying my state doing it, but I don't know why. We just always say Lego. It's just the thing. One of the theories we had was maybe there was, you know, like a big Danish population that immigrated at some point. And the pronunciation, if I, and I might not quite get this right, but I understand that if you were to 
take the Danish word, it would be lego, lego. Ah. So there, there is, there is a bit of an a sound in there, and it's maybe that we we just clung on to that, and that was how we then pronounce it because it's such, such a weird concept that one place in the world kind of does it totally differently to anyone else. Brickman did say that apparently if you have a South African accent, you also pronounce it with a bit more of an A, Lego sound. So maybe it's an, just an SA thing in general, South Australia, South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I do in my spare time is a toy podcast called Toy Power, and it's all about connecting with all those toys that we grew up with and reminiscing and sharing the nostalgia for, for you know, 80s, 90s, even 2000s toys. And of course, Lego is a big part of that. So we do touch on that as well. So yeah, if you want to come and listen to more geeking out on toys, check us out over at Toy Power. <laughs> Josh, anything that you wanted to plug? Um, I have an Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show, guys. No worries. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks so much for listening to Lego Masters Deconstructed, Australia's only Lego Masters podcast. If you liked that interview, go back and check out all the other ones we've done. We've had interviews with pretty much all of the teams, and if they're not there, then hopefully they will be soon. And even though the season's over, you should subscribe to the podcast because, fingers crossed, we'll be back next year, hopefully. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, send us any thoughts or questions, Feel free to DM us on Instagram. My handle is at Zoe Peck underscore. And mine is at Parente Swag King. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.